Hey everyone, this is Last Jackson of Detroit Bad Boys, and on this week's podcast, Ben Gulker and I talk about your two and eight Detroit Pistons. Ben and I talk about the Boyan Bogdanovich extension, where the Pistons have been better and worse than they were last season through the first 10 games of this season, and what Cade Cunningham is and isn't providing for the Pistons. As always, we appreciate your continued support of the podcast. The best way to do that is to share, subscribe, and leave comments. Please leave comments on the discussion post on Detroit Bad Boys. That's the best way for us to have the conversation that we want to have around the podcast. In order to do that, though, you have to follow DetroitBadBoys.com, which you should be doing because it's the best place on the internet for Pistons news and analysis this season. With all that said, it's time to go to work. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. I am your host, Lazarus Jackson, pleased, as always, to be joined by my usual co-host, Ben Gulker. Ben, you put in a bunch of notes today. Yeah, man, I did. Uh, two and eight Pistons getting blown out of the gym. Not very competitive, although they did win after we recorded last week, beat the Warriors. So we do have that optimistic win to talk about a little bit i guess but yeah pistons are bad they're real bad and uh 10 games in we can we can we can talk a little bit about stuff right we, we can talk about stuff so i guess we're gonna do it yeah 10 games is not a huge sample but like it's 12 percent of the season and it's that's enough to start noticing some trends but before we dive into that though i did want to bring up uh something that happened basically right after we started recording or right, right after we started and we ended recording uh, last week. That's the Boyan Bogdanovich extension. Two years, $39.1 million. Only $2 million guaranteed on the final year of that extension. Uh, ben, what did you think of the Boyan Bogdanovich deal? Yeah, this is great. Um, surprised about the second year of that, the only $2 million guaranteed. I mean, that makes it, I think, particularly attractive not only for the Pistons, but also as a, a trade asset, should they decide they want to try to trade him. I mean, he's been such a dynamic and versatile offensive weapon for them, obviously shooting the ball. I mean, just shooting the lights out. But also particularly, I mean, I've been just impressed by how much he's capable of offensively. I didn't realize how much he's capable of beyond just shooting. I knew he was a good spot-up shooter. I knew he could shoot the ball um, off of screens. I didn't realize he was as crafty as he was off the dribble. Um, so I've been impressed by that great contract, definitely worth the money. And that I think that second year, um, particularly team friendly. So uh, great contract. No, definitely. Uh, before I get my thoughts, I do want to apologize. Smoke detector is going off in the background. I know we're going to get people tweeting at me like, hey, like your smoke detector is going off. Like I am aware. Trust <laughs> me. I'm going to go to Home Depot like later this week and get this fixed. But for right now, like I'm just going to mute myself occasionally. But I do like this deal. I like it for all the reasons you mentioned. The one thing that you didn't mention that I wanted to bring up was that um, for this offseason in particular, the free agent class is beyond like abysmal. And the Pistons will have, even after this Boyan extension, approximately like 50-ish million dollars in cap space. And so it's like with nobody to spend that money on, 
if Boyan Bogdanovich is both like your big trade win and your big free agency like signing, like I'm fine with that as a from a team building and from a flexibility standpoint, the Pistons still have a lot of options. And so like, yeah, is it it was a good bit of business by Troy Weaver. And if we wake up and he's 36 and a pumpkin, then it's only $2 million <laughs> off your cap space, right? Like it's, it's not the worst thing in the world. Yeah. Uh, next thing I wanted to talk about was Jalen Duren's injury. Jalen Duren got hurt in that game, in that win against the Warriors. Uh, Nerlens Noel re-entered the rotation. Uh, he seems fine, kind of fine. Uh, there was hope that Duren would play uh, in that Cleveland game. He obviously didn't. I think he's close to being retu- to to returning. Um, ben, what did you think of Nerlens Noel filling the maybe not the Jalen Duren sized hole in our hearts? but perhaps the Jalen Duren-sized hole in the Pistons rotation. <laughs> uh, the more I talk about Nerlens Noel, the less interested I am in my own podcast, I think. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's just, yeah. He's a capable veteran big man who isn't going to hurt you, and he's going to be serviceable, um, and that that's what you hope for. And he, he does fine. He, he does fine. That, that's it. That's, yeah, that's enough for a backup big. Um, I know there was some preseason optimism that like maybe he would be able to contribute at a higher level and maybe he's still coming back from injury and like once he's fully recovered, we'll see better play out of him. But yeah, he's, he's fine. Um, I don't think he showed anything worth exercising like the third year of that team option on. So the, like that's one thing. Um, I will say if if the Pistons want to continue playing like two bigs at a time, they're going to need like more centers. And if Nerlens isn't that guy, they're going to need to find some more guys. Um, and that's going to make that's like that's an offseason planning thing, though. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, Nerlens Noel's fine. Yeah, I and I mean it, this, the preseason stuff was all before Jalen Duran was a beast, right? So I mean, if the options are Jalen Duran and Nerlens Noel, like glue Nerlens to the bench. Sorry. <laughs> No, I, I got no problem with it. Uh, speaking of the bench, though, what did you think of Dwayne Casey's kind of adjustment with the staggered rotations this week? We saw always, if he could help it, at least one starter on the floor. Normally, that guy was either Jaden Ivey or Sadiq with like four other bench guys. Um, I, I liked that adjustment. It did not necessarily make the bench any uh, any better from an offensive standpoint, but... Uh, I did think that uh, it plugged some holes in a way that I was uh, I was pleased with. What did you think of that adjustment, Ben? Yeah, I agree with you. Logically, this makes sense. It it didn't change outcomes, unfortunately. Um, but I agree with you. I think this makes sense logically. You the the bench has been abysmal. Um, there's just such a lack of ability to put the ball in the basket in the second unit. Um, Burks and Bagley, depending on how Bagley gets inserted into the rotation, both those guys are going to help. I mean, whether or not Bagley starts, if Bagley starts, obviously someone from the starting lineup is going to get moved to the second unit, which will help the second unit. Burks will obviously help the second unit. But putting one of those, you know, one of those starters into the second unit, it's logical that that will help um, somewhat. So I agree with that decision. I think it makes sense. Um so yeah, I agree with it. Long term, hopefully, there's better outcomes than we saw this week because this week we just had, 
you know, the two lopsided blowouts, and it's just so hard to to decipher anything out of those just crazy blowout games. Um, because, those, you know, when, when you, it's just a burn the tape kind of situation, right? Like when you have these young teams, it's like, what do you even take away from those two games, right? And then we had the, the one win and the one competitive loss with Milwaukee. Um, Milwaukee game was, I think, actually kind of encouraging because they fought back a couple times from the big deficits, which is, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I agree with this. I think it's smart coaching. Um, keep a starter out there. Keep a ball handler out there. Uh, a guy who can create his own shot for a unit that's struggling. Struggling, Yeah, I, I like it. I think it makes sense. I think it's definitely notable to me that Ivy and Sadiq are the two guys that seem to be the heaviest staggered ones because in my mind, like those are the two candidates to go to the bench when Marvin Bagley comes back and is perhaps inserted into the the starting rotation. Um, And so I'm getting a look at both how the starters might interact with one another without, you know, Ivy or Sadiq and learning how the bench operates with Ivy and Sadiq, Ivy slash Sadiq on the floor. Uh, is interesting and something that you want to like file away for future purposes. Um, I will say, I think, I think it's going to be Sadiq that gets moved to the bench. Um, we talked, you talked about shot creation as a big bench element. I would not thought that shot creation would have been like something you were going to get from Sadiq Bay, but he's been much more effective, if not like aesthetically pleasing, uh, <laughs> but effective uh, in that department this season. Um, he's got like a 40% free throw rate or something crazy. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think that um, that's going to help like lubricate the bench, which definitely needs it at this point. All right. Uh, 10 games into the season, Ben uh, Pistons are two and eight. Uh, where are they like relative to where they ended the year last year? Like, I know this is not necessarily the pace we want from a wins and losses perspective, but like offensively, it feels like things are a little bit better defensively it definitely feels like things are worse uh what's what's good what's bad what's different from from last year yeah so i was actually surprised digging into this a little bit um you know the 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 obligatory preface first of all um we knew going into the season that the first 10 games were going to be rough strength of schedule wise they had a very tough start they're playing some very good teams um back-to-backs good teams on the road etc we knew they had some guys injured, key rotation guys, obviously Burks and Bagley, both out. And then you have the the rework of the roster with um, young guys playing big minutes, right? Ivy in particular starting, playing big minutes. Um, Jeremy Grant's gone, Boyan Bogdanovich in, Jalen Duran playing big minutes until his injury. So there's lots of moving parts, lots of reasons to keep in mind that, you know, I, I know all of this stuff, but I forget it while I'm watching in the moment as well. So Obligatory preface out of the way. Here's some things that are interesting and surprising to me. First of all, I was blown away when I looked this up. Their offensive rating is actually better than it was a season ago. Obviously, only 10 games, but this shocked me. So they're a full point better, 106 points to 105 points and change. Um, that, That stunned me because the offense has felt, while watching it, to be really dysfunctional. I think... Some of that is probably because the bench struggles so much, but I think the starters have been particularly good. I think a lot of that's due to um, Bogdanovich just shooting the lights out. I mean, his shooting in particular has carried the starting unit's efficiency, I think. Um, The defense is really the problem here. Um, They've got the worst net rating in the entire NBA, and that's almost entirely because of their defense. Their defensive rating is 
a full five points worse, which is dramatic and absolutely terrible and frankly inexcusable. So they're up to 118 points in terms of their defensive rating. That's, again, five points worse. It was 113 last year. So that that's terrible. You do the math and it's uh, a negative awful. <laughs> what that turns into um and and they're by quite a wide margin uh the worst in the nba so you know look at all the various metrics in terms of you know like true shooting percentage rebounding percentage assist rate all that kind of stuff it's it's actually pretty consistent um their overall rebounding percentages true shooting percentages assist rates it's all pretty similar to a season ago Defensive rebounding is a little bit worse, which isn't surprising. I mean, they've gotten killed on the offensive glass by teams a few different times. That contributes to the defensive rebounding. It's it's, it's all the defense. The defense is just an absolute disaster. Um, it's the blowouts in particular that are that are causing this. I think, um, but, but 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 yeah, it, it's absolutely all. The defense. Another thing that stood out to me: their pace is up. They're playing faster. Um, I, I think you know Jaden Ivy is a key contributor to this. Cade, I think, is he doesn't necessarily run himself all of the time, but I think he's particularly good at um, long outlet passes. I think particularly when he grabs a defensive rebound, he's particularly good at long outlets. Um, he hits guys in transition, uh, so pace is up. I think that is a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think they're largely where they're at. They're shooting, uh, their three-point shooting um, is a little bit better. <clears throat> um, their true shooting percentage kind of holding steady. Um, here's another thing that's surprising. They are among the league leaders in free throw attempts. Um, I think they're third in the entire NBA. Let me double check this real quick. They're third in the NBA in free throw attempts per game. Is that surprising to you? That That shocked me. That absolutely shocked me. And they're third in the NBA in free throw rate. So this is 100 per 100 possessions. Um, unfortunately, they're, they're middle of the league in percentage, so they don't actually cash in on this particularly well. Um, but they're, they're third in the NBA in free throw attempts per game. So in spite of the fact that Cade's hardly getting to the line, unfortunately, um, Stu and Sadiq, I think, are the two guys who are really getting to the line a ton. Um, unfortunately, they're not making a lot of them. Um, but they're getting to the line a lot. Uh, which is good. We just got to get Cade to get some calls. He's still getting banged a lot and not getting to the line. This week in particular, I made note of that. He only took nine free throws this week, which is crazy. I feel like uh, I was just watching some of the Milwaukee film in the fourth quarter alone. I feel like he got followed three different times and didn't get to the get to the line. But uh, yeah, a- as a whole, I think largely they're doing a lot of the same stuff they did a season ago in terms of their assists, largely the same shooting, largely the same free throws way up in terms of their attempts, rebounding pretty much the same, except they're not doing quite as good on the defensive glass. The defense is just an absolute disaster and they're not giving, they're not even giving themselves a chance because the defense is just absolutely so bad. Yeah. The we've complained about the defense for four straight weeks at this point. So it does not surprise me, right. That um, the defense has been the culprit behind why they've been so bad from a net rating perspective. Um, the number like one, a 118 defensive rating is like, that's really bad. That's really bad. And so to have a negative, what, like 12 
net rating and yeah. have, you know, seven of that be because you have the worst defense in the league by a huge margin is uh, not surprising, but shocking, I guess. the Just seeing it, like, numerically is just really crazy. I like I think that regresses. I think they. I think they get better from a defensive standpoint. I don't think this is like like one eighteen for an entire season would be like the worst defense we've seen in like quite some time. And I don't think they're the worst defense the NBA has seen in like the last half decade. So that I think that gets better, but um, probably not by enough to make the net rating uh, less ugly. Um, I'm not surprised by the pace. I'm not surprised by the free throw shooting. You talked about Sadiq and Isaiah in particular. Like I've mentioned, Steek's free throw rate is up to like 40, uh, 40-ish percent, his free throw rate. He's shooting almost 90% from the line. So I think the culprit is Stu on that end. Uh, Stu's, I think, like under 70% from the line. But bet- like Boyan adds a bunch of free throws. Jeremy Grant didn't get into the free throw line as much. Um, Boyan at- attacks in a way that draws fouls in a way that uh, Jeremy Grant didn't always do. Um, and so I'm not surprised that the free throw rate is up. Like so this, we noted that last week, right? That like Stu is magically getting these double doubles because he's shooting like five free throws a game. Um, and Jay Nivey helps with that as well. Not as much as I imagined he would because they haven't been able to push the pace as much as I imagined they would. But uh, he has also helped in the free throw drawing department, if not necessarily the free throw uh, making department. Defensive rebounding being uh, bad does not surprise me. This is also a culprit of starting uh, Sadiq and Boyan and Stu all at the same time. Um, You were talking about watching the Milwaukee tape. The thing that stood out to me often would be how many times uh, like Stu would seal his guy, but like nobody else was uh, boxing out and the ball uh, would just like, hey, it was like, okay, Milwaukee's guys are available to go get it. Um, there's one offensive rebound where like the, the ball hit the ground. So like everybody else is boxed out, right? The ball hits the ground and then it's like, Oh wait, wait, uh, somebody's supposed to go grab that, I suppose. And then, uh, it's an offensive rebound from Milwaukee. It's just this, uh, this can't continue. This, this is a big reason why I imagine they want to go to bigs when Marvin Bagley is healthy, um, cleaning up a lot of the defensive rebounding, um, numbers will help them in terms of defensive rating again fewer second chance points um you'll be uh less uh, you'll give up less second chance points the defensive rating will improve uh, even if marvin bagley himself is not like an amazing team or individual defender um offensive rating being improved also not a surprise boyan bogdanovich is a huge part of that I, he's got like a 70% true shooting percentage. Um, I imagine that that will go down. And so I will be very curious to see what happens to the offense when Boyan is not shooting uh, like 48% from three or whatever he's shooting right now. But, uh, but yeah, it, the schedule has also been tough as like I, the, from a record wise perspective, they're two and eight. Um, you, you were right, Ben. Like we, we talked about this before the season that this is going to be a particularly tough stretch. It does not get any easier for like the next like ten ish games. Um, like even this week, they play like they play Boston. They play Boston twice, um, and then they head out west, right? And out west is just a bloodbath for any team. Uh, and so there will be stretches where the schedule gets easier, but they are one of the worst teams in the league, 
And so every team is going to look better than them because a lot of teams are better than them. And so I, I don't think that they'll continue to go like two and eight every single 10 game stretch, but that would put them on pace for a like 22, 23 win team, which is what they were last year. So perhaps this shouldn't be that much of a surprise. We were banking on internal development. We have gotten internal development on offense and a little bit of regression on defense. And that is balancing out to be roughly the same team they were last year. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, it's like this, this team has been uh, frustrating, a frustrating watch. Like you've mentioned this a couple times. Um, one guy in particular that has been frustrating has been Killian. I'm going to let you have, I, I have talked a lot about Killian and people tend to think that like, I am biased about Killian because <laughs> of my pre-draft stuff as like, like I can't like see what's happening on the floor, but like, I'm going to let you do the Killian spiel and then I'm going to, I'm going to talk. Yeah, no, I, it's fair. Um, I like everything Killian does except shoot. So a, a, everything he does other than shooting, I, I'm really a fan of. Unfortunately, this season, the shooting has become so poor that I, I don't think what he's doing other than shooting is is compensating for the shooting. The shooting has become so bad. I mean, his, his true shooting percentage is 20-something. Um, that I think in order for the bench unit to function effectively, it, it's close to reaching the point that he's becoming unplayable, um, in my opinion. So I'm, I'm going to say... It's, it's reaching the point. It's close to the point. He's played 102 NBA games now. He's played 2,500 minutes. And his shooting is not getting better. It's getting worse. Whatever they're doing with his shot in terms of reconstructing the form, um, not only is he not shooting better from the perimeter, whatever he was able to do in the paint is no longer working. Um, Bryce put up a, a tweet yesterday or the day before I forget when there, there was a couple examples he posted of Killian, like actively avoiding looking to shoot even eight feet and in like K- Killian at least had the willingness to look at a floater or the, the willingness to look at attacking the rim from eight feet and in. Now it looks like when he catches the ball anywhere, he's looking to pass. That's that that's alarming. It looks like his, his confidence is just completely gone shooting the basketball. So, you know, for, for, from my perspective, if they want to win basketball games, they're close to the point now where it, it's going to be pretty hard to play Killian Hayes. Um, it's sad. It, it's really sad they've reached this point because I, I've i been a believer in what Killian Hayes does other than shooting. I, I feel like he he probably still can carve out a niche somewhere. I, I don't know. I don't know if they've reached the point of no return with Killian in Detroit. I hope not. Um, but I don't know. I, I almost feel like he needs a stint doing something other than what he's doing now. Because, um, you know, continuing to shoot 1 for 8, 0 for 3, 0 for 4, 1 for 5. I don't know. He needs to go somewhere where he can see the ball go through the basket a few times because it the bench is just so dysfunctional. And he, he's really struggling. Um and, and I, I don't know. I don't know how the bench unit functions offensively when you've got a guy struggling as badly as he is struggling. And I, I feel like the Pistons are at a point, too, where they need the bench unit to function because they need to win some basketball games. Even though winning is not the primary focus, I think it would be really bad 
to have another season where you win 23 games. I think you'd like to see 25, 26, 27 wins. I'd like to see some progress. And I, I don't know, man, I, I really feel like right now Killian is unplayable. Send him to the G league, you know, give him, give him a handful of games on the bench to do something. I, I really feel like he's pretty close to unplayable right now. That's my, that's my take on him. Yeah. I, in the long term, I do think it is best for the Pistons and for him, for him to like fight through this stretch. Um, but I do agree that he is a huge part of the reason why the bench lineups have been so bad. And like you mentioned at the beginning, it really is just the shooting, right? His assist numbers are in line with his career averages, which is like pretty good. Um, his steal and block rates are in line with his career averages, which is again, like pretty good. He remains the best perimeter defender on the team. And so again, and when, when we're talking about the defense is like, benching your best perimeter defender because they're so bad offensively for a team that's been as bad defensively as the team has been it's like probably not it's probably not going to help them on that department either however like he's been so bad at putting the ball through the basket that you know i am i am willing to listen to suggestions at this point the my fear is that like the pistons do like he's he is still 21 i know no one cares he is still 21. My fear is that the Pistons will give up, give up on him, and we will see a resurgence down the line in like two, three years of uh, him finding a way to contribute to an NBA team. Uh, like Dennis Smith Jr. right now is having a really nice stretch for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, another like high lottery pick guy who struggled out of the gate with uh, a lot of stuff. So I'm not. Uh, so I think there is a world in which Killian turns it around, but I. I am fearful that that world is not in Detroit, despite the fact that like he really helps them from all the stuff that they need aside from, again, like putting the ball in the basket. It's just, it's just really tough. I'm so concerned about what they're doing to his shot. I am just not just from a mechanics perspective, but from a long-term confidence perspective, like to reconstruct someone's shot at 21 years old is so hard to do because you have a lifetime of muscle memory to reconstruct. And I, I'm a, look, I'm not a big believer in a lot of the wishy-washy woo that you hear about, but I am a big believer in confidence. I, I think there, there's real evidence that suggests that what you think about and what you visualize and what you believe about your own capabilities actually impacts what you're able to do on as an athlete, like there's real psycho- psychological evidence about that. And I, I worry about Killian's confidence. And, and I think I worry about everything they've done with his shot. I worry about all of the instruction that he's getting. And I worry about any sort of baggage psychologically that could be attached to Detroit and the Pistons and the coaching staff and whether or not he's able to succeed with all of that attached to him here. And I don't know, some, I don't remember who said this on Twitter, but someone called what they're doing with his shot malpractice. And I, I almost feel that way. <laughs> like, cause it, it ain't working and it, it could not be more obvious right now, the way he's playing. So Bryce made a really great point on the Pistons pulse. He was talking about Cade and he was talking about Cade's, the lack of free throw shooting that like, 
and free throw respect that Kate has got over uh, his first two seasons. And he was saying that like Kate, Kate doesn't grift, right? Like Kate is not a guy who actively like goes into the paint to see or goes into the, into the paint with the mindset of like, I'm going to get contact and get to the line. Kate is a guy who goes in the paint with the mindset like, okay, I'm going to try and score. And, uh, and trying to get him to change his mindset towards like, you should just like lean into contact and shoot more free throws is something that would be good for his game and would be like an ongoing process, but it would be something he would have to relearn, right? Like he'd have to relearn how to attack the basket. That's how I feel about Killian and shooting, right? Like Killian is going to have to relearn how he needs to process the game of basketball in order to succeed in the NBA. And he's trying to do that while reconstructing a shot. He's trying to do that uh, like while like playing in a new role is it, it does not feel like this is uh, going to work in the long term. But if it is, it's like he's going to have to just put the ball in the basket more. Like that's that's basically all there is to it. Um, we talked about Killian for for far too long. This is this is my own personal hobby horse. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about Jaden Ivey. Actually, uh, people did not like that I pointed out Jaden Ivey had struggled uh, since he came back from the flu or the sickness or whatever uh, game he didn't play against Atlanta. But I think he's been. Uh, very good for this team, uh, even as the team has been bad in these blowouts. Um, we like we like Jaden Ivey, right, Ben? Yeah, yeah. Um, I like Jaden up Jaden's upside a lot. Um, I I like Jaden Ivey more than I thought I would. I'm not I'm not sold that Jaden Ivey is guaranteed to be a superstar. Let's put it that way. Um. Jaden Ivey's athleticism is undeniable, and that athleticism sets a ceiling that's higher than I think a lot of guys in his draft class have, right? His ability to get to the rim is probably better than anyone else in his draft class, maybe than on Carroll, um, at least that I've seen so far. And I think it's probably something the Pistons haven't had since, I don't know, Stackhouse, Grant Hill, something like that. Um, but I, I think there are some real weaknesses in his game right now that are not sure things to get better. And I I think that's probably why I'm not as high on him as a lot of people are. Um, and I'll just lay them out clearly because they've been to me pretty evident since he's come back. Um, and I think it's not just that it's related to him coming back, but I think also the scout on him is out. And I think defenses are able to adjust to him. And I I think that's all kind of part of the same thing. So first of all, he gets himself into all sorts of trouble when he's dribbling. Um, In college, and this is probably just a learned behavior, he's always been the most athletic guy on the floor. So he doesn't really have to think. He's never had to think until he's gotten to the NBA. He can just athlete his way through any problem situation. He can't do that anymore. Um, He's not the most athletic guy on the floor. Or, you know, he's in the top three or four, but that's not enough. Defenses can adjust to his athleticism. So one thing I've noticed is sometimes that leads to a really silly turnover. Other times it might not technically lead to a turnover because he'll be able to, like, bail out and throw the ball to a teammate. But it's almost as bad as a turnover because it's, you know, throwing the ball to Stewart with five seconds left on the shot clock and Stewart's three feet behind the three-point line. That That's just as bad, right? I mean... um. 
so he he just gets himself in no man's land off the dribble um, because defenses just aggressively back up right when he's dribbling they just aggressively back up because they they know he's not going to shoot in the mid range and I think when he gets to the basket guys are aggressively not following him right because he's aggressively seeking contact that's what he's good at and his free throw rate has really dropped pretty dramatically as a result. I mean, in the preseason, he was getting to the free throw line pretty significantly. His free throw rate has dropped down into the 20s, which is still better than a lot of guys, but not nearly what it was in college. I think it was something around 40 or 50%. It's not anywhere close to that now. The other concern, I think, offensively is his shooting. His release is slow, in my opinion. Um, so I think, you know, shooting off the dribble might be a little bit of a concern over the long term. I think his release is also a little bit low, which I think makes dribble shooting off the dribble a little bit of a concern for me long term. So I think if you want, you know, how do you guard Jaden Ivey right now? You just you just aggressively make him shoot the three. You're not worried about his mid-range game at all. You want to try to contest his three when he's going to shoot it, but his release is slow, so you just back off him and try to contest when he shoots the three. So he's a very one-dimensional player right now. And he's still valuable. He still attacks, and he can still score relatively efficiency. Like you look at his shooting percentages; they're relatively good for a rookie, better than I thought they would be. But I think he's a relatively easy guy to scheme for as a rookie. Um, I think the real concern I have for him is defensively. Bryce has a fantastic post. I think he looked at the film through seven or eight games. Um, his on-ball defense is is really quite poor right now. Um, on-ball defense across the board, one through four, I think is really bad. Jaden Ivey is part of that problem. He certainly has the physical tools to get better, Laz, but right now it, it's really, really bad. Um, Jaden's playing a lot of minutes, and I think Cade is also he's probably a little better, but at least as you know, at least comparable to Jaden Ivey. Um, and I've said this a couple times. I'll say it again now. The Pistons lack any sort of paint and rim protection. Jalen Duran gives some of that, but when our perimeter guys can't stay in front of their men, that only amplifies and underscores the lack of a rim protector. So when we're getting blown by one through four, which we are consistently with our current starting lineup, Sadiq and Boyan are getting blown by all the time too. You know, Stu, bless his heart, he just doesn't, he's either out of position because of our scheme or when he's in position, he does his best, but he just doesn't have the tools to be a dominant rim protector. So when our when our perimeter guys like Jaden are getting beat all the time, it just amplifies our weaknesses on the interior. And Jaden is just really poor defensively. So what do I think of Jaden Ivey? I'm I'm as thrilled as everybody about his upside, but there are some real deficiencies that are not at all a sure thing. And I think um, he's gonna he has a he has a lot of work to do. To, to become the player that I think a lot of people are just assuming he's going to be. Um, I'm super encouraged about his work ethic. I love the fact that he wants to be a piston, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I'm, all, I'm all there. Um, but, but he's got a lot of work to do to really, I think, become a very good player. He certainly can, uh, but, but there's some real weaknesses, and I, I think he's just got a lot of work to do before he gets there. He did the thing again where uh... – in anticipation of a screen, he like leaned all the way the wrong way and gave Isaac Okoro uh, a dunk in like the first three minutes of the Cleveland game. And I was just like, what are we doing here? Uh, anyway, 
Yeah, I I definitely agree with you that the scout is now out on Jaden Ivey. This was one of my big fears going into uh, just the draft class was that, you know, because of the inconsistent shooting, um, that he would be easy to defend in a way that would make him uh, less conducive to being able to contribute offensively. Um, The assists have also gone down. I remember... Our first, the first week of the season, he was averaging like six assists a game. We were really impressed by his ability to move the ball. I don't think he's gotten like any quote unquote like worse as a playmaker. I, I do think that um, some of the transition stuff, uh, some of the transition assists he was able to get, and some of the uh, ball movement stuff has been cut down because defenses are starting to play him differently, um, as you mentioned. He's down to I think like three and a half, three and three point three assists per game. Like that's okay. That's not. That's I mean, we certainly expected him to average like somewhere in like the four ish neighborhood, and so like three and a half is like not bad, but it is a far cry from six. Um, his turnovers are up as he continues to just like get into the lane and try to make stuff happen. Sometimes it works. He had a really nice kick to Killian for a three in the Milwaukee game. It's like, that is the type of thing I would love to see him do. And I do think that he's made good passes, but he also just, uh, like there was one, there was one transition play against, who was it against? Was that the Warriors? Where he like, he just drove into three guys. um, Maybe, maybe got fouled, maybe didn't get fouled, like got the ball back and like got it to Sadiq. And it's like, okay, like that's not a turnover. It, it counts, but like, man, that's not, that is not the decision-making or playmaking I would like to see from, uh, from my rookie guard. Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast. I do think like once Bagley comes back, he is one of the candidates to come off the bench um, just because uh, the bench could really use what he offers from a rim pressure and just like shot creation perspective, maybe more than the starters get hurt by his turnovers and ability to push the pace. Um, but I, I am still really enamored with what Jaden Ivey can bring offensively to this team. I was explaining, I was, why was uh, my, my wife was watching in one of the games with me and he did something crazy. Like he, he had like a really nice transition dunk. And I was like, he does like three things every game. And you're just like, wow, I can't believe uh, the Pistons like finally have a guy who can do all of this stuff. And then he does like four things a game where you're like, <laughs> I can't believe this like 20 year old kid is just like making these dumb decisions on the yeah. court. And so it's like, just, it's just a matter of fixing that ratio. It is what it is. Um, yeah, that's basically it. What have we thought of Cade through 10 games? Cade had a really uneven start to the season. Um, he's been better in these like last four or five games but there are still clear strengths and weaknesses with Cade. So where, where are we at on Cade through 10 games? All right, so I'm going to say the good and the bad with Cade. So what I love about Cade this season is I feel like after the sort of unassuming deferral, sort of like deferring start that we saw in the preseason in the first couple couple games, I I really appreciate that he's sort of taken ownership and control of the team. That's clearly what everyone else is sort of expecting, and I feel like he's owned that. I really appreciate that. Um, I also like that 
he is not settling for threes offensively. I like that he's attacking a lot more. Um, defenses are clearly still aware of him. Um, he's still being double teamed a ton. 15th most in the entire NBA. He's getting double teamed 13 times a game. About 24% of the time that he's on the floor, he's being double teamed. 24% of the team's possessions when he's on the floor, he's being double teamed. That's tough to deal with. Um, I dropped the link in the notes. If anyone's curious, maybe we can throw this in the post or I'll throw it in the comments of the post. Like you look at the guys who are on that list and it's like all the guys you would expect, like Luca, LeBron, James Harden, like all of those guys, right? So when I get to the criticisms of Cade, keep in mind that I'm aware of the fact that he is being treated like the studs of the NBA, right? Like I'm aware, like I know. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the way he's approaching the game right now. I, I also really appreciate that he's doing all the other stuff too, right? Like he rebounds as a point guard, which is good. I, I think he recognizes that the team is not a good rebounding team. So he goes and rebounds, especially defensively. I love that. Um, I mentioned earlier, like when he grabs a defensive rebound, some of his outlet passes are just things of beauty. Like they're just gorgeous passes. It's like watching, you know, a professional quarterback throw the perfect fade pass to the end zone, right? Like at the perfect amount of loft, the perfect amount of pace, like just beautiful passes that only, you know, 10 or 15 point guards in the entire NBA can throw because he's tall enough. He's long enough, right? Like just, just beautiful stuff. Um, he also makes wonderful reads in the half court. I mean, some of the lasers that he throws, um, cross court from the top of the key to the opposite corner through, you know, three different defenders, the vision that that takes, the skill that that takes, like just, just incredible stuff. Like he is absolutely an incredibly skilled player. The thing and this is where I switched to criticism. The thing that is going to set, I think, the ceiling for Cade, what's going to make the difference between, you know, is he a guy who leads the Pistons to the sixth seed, or is he the guy that leads the Pistons to the second seed is, and I'm going to be beating a dead horse is probably what people are thinking is, does he figure out the scoring efficiency piece? Right now, Unfortunately, he's still, compared to his peers, one of the least efficient scoring guards in the NBA. An obligatory preface. I'm not saying he's busting. I'm not saying he's a bust. I am not saying he is not going to figure this out. I'm saying that right now, given the rest, I know the rest of the roster around him is weak. <laughs> I know he's getting double teamed all the time. I'm just saying that right now, his offensive game as an individual scorer is is not holding up. Um, so here, here, let's put this in context. Right now, he's shooting about 51% true shooting percentage. League average for guards is about 56. So he's he's way below average. I wanted to put this in context, so I, so I ran the numbers a couple different ways. Right now, there are 68 NBA guards who average more than 10 field goal attempts per game. All right, 68 guards, more than 10 field goal attempts per game. He's 52nd on that list in true shooting percentage. 52nd out of 68. 
and I just thought this was interesting. The guy who's one spot below him is Russell Westbrook. So that that kind of stings a little, right? So 52nd out of 68, that's not great. So I thought, okay, well, what if we look at, instead of just arbitrary 10 shots a game, what if we try to compare him to guys who are like in a more similar role? So I thought, all right, let's filter by usage rate. So I thought, okay, he's he's using just about 30%, like 29.8% of the Pistons' possessions while he's on the floor. So I filtered by usage rate. Let's look at guards who are using 25% or more of their team's possessions. Let's filter that way. So there's 38 guards in the NBA currently using 25% or more of their team's possessions and playing more than 15 minutes per game. So figure that's that's a relatively decent comp, right? You could filter by minutes. You could do 20 minutes or whatever. But So there's 38 guards on that list. He's 30 out of 38 on that list in terms of true shooting percentage. He's also 26 on that list in turnover rate, which isn't great. And then 34th on net rating. So not great. Like if you want to go down that rabbit hole any further. So, oh, and then a shout out to Ben Math, who was my guy on in the draft. Ben Math is eighth in true shooting percentage on that list. So the dude is shooting the freaking lights out. That stung a little bit. So what am I saying about Cade? The main criticism I've got about Cade is... Cade is fi- he's figuring it out. I will say I think he's figuring it out this season. He's exploring a lot in his own individual game. Instead of settling for threes, he's attacking a lot more off the dribble. Love this. He's um, going to the rim a lot more. He's not getting fouled, which is I think he's still got to earn the respect from the referees. Um, He's becoming a little bit of a god in the mid-range, which I think is interesting. I linked to his shot chart, which is, if you look at the mid-range, like, he is way above the league average. Like, if you look at, like, the 17, 18-foot range, like, he's just stunning. Like, around the top of the key and the elbow, like, he's way above average. But then when you look in the paint, like, he's just way below league average. So I think what he's got to figure out still, Laz, is... How do I finish in the lane? And then how, to me, it you, you talked about this earlier. He's not a grifter. This is Bryce's point, right? He's not, he's not finding the ways to get to the free throw line. He still looks like he's trying to avoid contact. He's so good at like getting around people and he's got to figure out how to get through and into people. Like I mentioned earlier, this week he only took nine free throws. I feel like he got robbed a few times, but he also is, I still think, avoiding a lot of contact. And I think figuring out how to, one, finish in the paint now that he's getting there more, I feel like, than he did a season ago. Finishing in the paint and getting to the free throw line, those are going to be the two things I think that really boost his efficiency. And really, the only criticism I have of Cade is the efficiency. If and when he figures this out, this is the thing I think that sets the ceiling for him. And the reason I I harp about it so much is because I think this is what sets the ceiling for the team. We can talk about all the role players all we want. Isaiah Stewart does not set the ceiling for the team. Jalen Duran's not setting the ceiling for the team. You know, which which guard comes off the bench and if Sadiq comes off the bench. All this stuff matters, but that's all on the periphery. Like, Cade Cunningham is still the guy who's using 30% of the team's possessions. He's the number one pick. He is the guy. He's the franchise. So as he goes, that's the way the franchise is going to go. So I'm going to keep I'm going to keep talking about Cade as the guy. He's going to keep doing all the things that he's great at, and I'm going to keep praising him for doing them. 
Um, right now, through 10 games, this is the thing that he's not good at yet, but he's, he's clearly making some progress as he explores and learns and figures things out. But it's the thing he's gotten a little bit better at. If you look at his numbers, he's like, he's like a point and a half better at his true shooting percentage overall. So that's good, especially because he started so slowly, but it's, it's the, it's the thing he's not there yet. Like he's not quite there yet. And it's the thing he needs to get better at. So, uh, so yeah, that's where we're at with Cade right now for me personally. I loved the the breakdown of the comparison to his peers because I think that that is really important, especially as we envision him as the guy who's going to take this team into the playoffs, into the promised land, um, into like a higher level of contention that they are right now. And it's... As much as he has improved from a production perspective, it like that is still the thing that's like keeping them at two and eight, right? This is the thing that's preventing them from uh, being in some of these close games that they rarely find themselves in. Before the season, I thought the most important part of Cade's game was going to be like the pull up three, simply because the pull up three, being able to shoot pull up threes changes how teams have to defend him in a way that I think makes the rest of his game flow more easily. Um, But for right now, like we are not seeing that, but I am pleased that we are seeing him kind of grow his game from the inside out. We are seeing him attack the rim more. We are seeing him be deadly in the mid range in a way that is uh, like really historically aberrant right? Like not a lot of guys shoot that well uh, and is frequently from the mid range as, uh, as he does. And that is a shot that he can get to almost anytime he wants. Um, And like those, those are important things. Um, The other thing is though, you will not get fouled a lot on mid range jumpers. Um, He has started to agitate to the refs that like he is getting fouled on some of these mid range jumpers. I think he got a call on one of them against uh milwaukee and like i like to see that i like to see him say like hey like i may be not creating contact in the normal ways that uh stars create contact but like i am getting fouled it's like you do have to call this and that will continue to uh improve but for me and all the caveats you throw in at the beginning about this the lineup not being conducive around him starting lineup doesn't have a lob threat in it we saw last season how how much that just like skyrocketed his game when he was able to play with a lob threat and put more like optionality on the table in terms of like what defenses had to worry about. Um, but before me, like I'm glad he's shooting fewer threes, but he's still shooting the same percentage he was last year. And I was really hoping for a big jump in that three point percentage. Um, that is the, that's like you talked about the a dry, a, attacking the basket and the free throw rate. It's like, I agree with that. I think three point rate is bigger because once if he was shooting, if he was shooting even like 34, 35% from three and teams felt like they had to pressure him out there, it'd be so much easier for him to get downhill. It'd be so much easier for him to get into the mid range. It'd be so much easier for, uh, for him to get fouls as teams like, you know, scrambled to close out on him and, and things like that. So I, I remain just like truly enamored with Cade's game. And I do think he is that guy. I do think he figures this thing out from a superstar level, from a superstar perspective. But I do think it is fair to say, it is fair to point out right now, that like he has not been good enough 
uh, for this team to uh, overcome the other talent deficiencies on the roster and win some games. Like, that's fair. That's fair. And I do think he gets there. Like, we both think he gets there, but it's still just fair to point out where he is right now. All right, Ben. Um, I wanted I want to do your other Ben math stat, and then we <laughs> and then we can get out of here. Oh, Ben math, yeah. Um, ben math is shooting the freaking lights out. Um, forty three percent from deep, six point two attempts per game. He's twenty, twenty and a half. Um, I don't know if that's going to hold up for a season, right? I mean, it's early, but, uh, what would it look like to have a shooting guard shooting 43% on 6.2 attempts per game? How would, how would that change the dynamics of the roster, Laz? I mean, we have one boy on, what if we had two boy Exactly. Two boy sounds nice. What would that look like? And then throw in a lob threat, like, uh, yeah, we love Jay Ivey though. We love we love Jaden. We're gonna get killed so hard. For That's this. all right. I can take it. <laughs> all right, Ben. Uh, Pistons are two and eight. Uh, they played Friday. They play Monday against the Thunder. Maybe, maybe that's a get right game. Maybe it's not. The Thunder are like four and five with something like the like fifteenth best defense in the league. They are much better defensively than I think they have any right to be without Chet Holgram. So that that will be yeah. a very interesting game. Then the schedule does not get easier. Wednesday, they play in Boston. Friday, they play in New York. Saturday, on the back-to-back, they play Boston at home. And then I think after that, they go on a road trip. So, Ben, uh, looking, staring real hard at that Thunder game as a source of joy for the week. Yeah, I mean, they beat the Magic, and then they beat the Warriors, which felt good at the time, but then the Magic beat the Warriors. (laughs) So... Yeah, a lot of teams. A lot of teams have beaten the Warriors. A lot of times beat the Warriors. The Warriors lost a lot when they lost those role players. They haven't, really haven't figured out how to fix that. Anyway, yeah, I I think the Thunder. You want to beat the Thunder. Um, the Knicks feel like they've got the Pistons number this year. That matchup just feels wrong. Like the Knicks just have the right mix of pieces to exploit the Pistons. And the Celtics are the Celtics, right? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't like this week any much better than I've liked the last few weeks. Last two and uh, twelve is not gonna feel fun. And then, like, obviously, you know, it can be three and nine. Three and nine feels better than uh, two and twelve. But uh, or uh, wow, I can't do math. Three and ten, or no, three and eleven. There we go. That's fourteen. Yeah, uh, winning two games this week. Our winning a game this week would be good from a record perspective, but like, man, uh, this is not this is not looking good for your Detroit Pistons. Ben, uh, thank you so much for this episode. This was a fun one. Um, when when I saw the amount of notes you put in the doc, I was like, oh, we're about to have a great episode. So <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate the level of detail. Where can people find this level of detail? Slash, where can people find uh, you uh, commiserating with uh, other Pistons fans about how bad the bitch has been? <laughs> well, hopefully this week I'll get to watch some games live. Last week I uh, had Halloween and parents and family in town, and so I was I was not watching much live other than the second second Bucks blowout, unfortunately. Uh, but at Bear Golker on Twitter, assuming Twitter doesn't crash and burn, I have a separate podcast. Um, 
yeah, and I wasn't active on the blog this week just due to everything else going on. But I always read all of the podcast comments and try to try to stay up to date on the game threads too. So DetroitBadBags.com as well. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am not setting up a Mastodon. I don't. I don't know what that entails. I'm not. I'm not doing that. I'm too old uh, <laughs> to go anywhere but Twitter. So I hope you. I hope Twitter continues to exist in some way, form, or fashion. Um, and if it does, you can continue f- to follow me at last chance. That's at L A Z C H A N C E. Uh, this has been the Detroit Bad Boys podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. We really appreciate it. And we will talk to you all next week. See you.